Great to be here. Good to see your pastor, and glad he's able to go to Israel. And we have appreciated his friendship over the years, and we were here some time back and enjoyed being here at that time, and good to be here today. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, let me read 6 verse 4. I read, let me emphasize again our seminary. It's always great to see our students and graduates out ministering the Word of God. Pray for us, great need for a good, solid Bible seminary, and we're not the only one, but we believe God has given us unique ministry there. There are four epistles we call the prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Some years ago, I taught a group of prisoners the prison epistles. They thought that was kind of interesting. They'd never heard of the term before. I did for ten weeks. Went down there and taught them the prison epistles. We have time for all Ephesians. Haven't time for all four epistles, but let me suggest this to you. Paul was in God's appointed place at God's appointed time. Now, humanly speaking, Paul would rather be out evangelizing, as he was prone to do and did a masterful job. But God ordained, and he says, I'm content to be in whatever state I am there with to be content. So Paul was used with the Lord to write these four epistles as a prisoner of the Rome. And he uh, rejoiced in that which God gave him. Tradition tells us that the wife of Nero became a believer. Let me read to you chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with love suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the peace, of the spirit, rather, in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just you were called, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all and in all. Paul starts out this chapter, therefore. So when you say that word therefore, you know you're supposed to do what? Go back and see why it's there. And he closes off the first three chapters with a great doxology. You might look there at verses uh, 20 and 21 of Ephesians, chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And he starts in, I therefore. In the first three chapters, Paul does not tell them what to do. First three chapters, Paul tells them what they have in Christ. What they, the riches they have in Christ. And now, after doing that, we can spend a lot of time there, we won't right now. But he comes to chapter 4, he says, Therefore, in the light of what I've said back here, now there are things you're free to do. 
He says, the prisoner of the Lord. Now that preposition of in your Bibles, I looked in several translations, all of them translate this of the Lord. Literally, it is a preposition which says in, not of, I-N. Why is that significant? Paul realized that he was in Christ. He says, I therefore the prisoner in the Lord. Now, how did we get there? We'll talk about that a little more later on. But keep that in mind, if you will. We are in him. He says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So Paul says, now that I've told you all these things in Christ, now I want you to walk accordingly. The word walk here doesn't mean just merely walking on the sidewalk or whatever. It's talking about the whole manner of life of the believer. See, when we get saved, it's a 724 thing. Not just for Sunday, and I think you know that already. Not just for maybe Wednesday night Bible study or whatever. No, it is that which we have is to be 724. We can't deal with it today, but in chapter 5 of this book, you'll find he talks about the believer and the home and Seeming like Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, when he says, be filled with the Spirit. He takes us home, if I can put it that way. He starts talking about the husband and wife relationship, the child-parent relationship. Now, the filling of the Spirit then is known, just not just at church, not just when we're out in a visitation or whatever. But it is that which is are to be our walk at 724. In the shop, in the home. Went to pastor at church one time. I've not been there very long. The pastor, uh, the Sunday school superintendent rather, came to me and said, uh, my wife and I are going to get a divorce. I said, that's interesting. Um, Is she a believer? Yes. You a believer? Yes. So I talked to him for a while, and I didn't need to see her. And then I brought him back together. I said, you know, if an individual can learn how to live in fellowship with God, that's the essential thing. We're related to him at salvation. We're living in fellowship with him Day by day, moment by moment, really. If two individuals then, husband and wife, each one live in fellowship with the Lord, there'd be no problem in living in fellowship with each other as husband and wife. Very simple, is it not? So Paul said, walk worthy of the calling. Now notice the attitude we are to have at verse 2. With lowliness... How is one exalted? Well, you remember, James put it like this, I'm paraphrasing. 
Up is down, down is up. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. One who exalts himself shall be what? Shall be abased. We're to have then a spirit of loneliness, humility. I heard the man was going to write the book about it. Humility and how I obtained it. <laughs> See, once you think you have it, you've lost it. Someone rightly said, I believe humility is a fleeting virtue. Once you think you have it, you've lost it, you see. And then he says, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We do not make the unity, we are to keep the unity. Now, what do we mean by that? See, as we are in Christ, in him then, we each one have a responsibility to him and then to each other. So walk in humility, walk in gentleness, have long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now he gives us four, five, and six Seven things all believers have in common. Maybe like the Marthys. Notice what he says, first of all. There is one body. What do we mean by one body? Talking about the body of Christ, which began on the day of Pentecost and will be consummated at the rapture of the church. So at salvation, we are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. So there's not uh, an experience, but it's what we receive from him. That body of believers begins at salvation, concludes at death or the rapture. All those who are in Christ from the day of Pentecost, when the church began, to the rapture, when the church will be finished, completed, all those people are in Christ. There's one body. So salvation then <clears throat> is a matter of being in Christ, Holy Spirit of God being placed in us, enjoying our life as a believer. This will not come by chance or by accident. It comes by spending time with the Lord. Here's the wonderful thing about it. In the Old Testament, they uh, worship in one place. Today, believers can worship God at all times. In fact, our life should be fellowship with him and worshiping him at all times. Often amazed at Paul. I think there's about 19 prayers that Paul gave in the epistles. Now, you can check me out and maybe I could be corrected there, but I think that's pretty close to it. Right. Nineteen prayers. It's interesting. I do not find Paul using the term amen to conclude his prayer. Interesting. I do not find Paul using the phrase in Jesus' name. Amen. Is that wrong to do so? No, I don't think so. But you see, Paul never did conclude his prayer. That's what I'm trying to say. He walked in fellowship with him. 
don't know how many miles he trekked by foot. Whether he rode a donkey in very much, I don't know. You ride a donkey over there? No. Camel? Oh, that's fun. Can't imagine the Queen of Sheba going thousands of miles by camel. We can't get off on that. Anyway, but uh, see, we are to walk with him. And we are to enjoy that oneness we have with him. There's one body. Now, the body of Christ then is distinct from the local church. That is, all believers from the day of Pentecost until the rapture, all part of that body of Christ. We have the local church. So the word of God uses the, the church in the sense of all who are in Christ, but also uses it in the sense of the local church, like the church at Corinth, the church at Rome, the church at Philippi, and on it goes. So he says there's one body. And one spirit talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, if you'd like to turn your Bibles to John chapter uh, 14 and verse 20. John chapter 14, verse 20. Notice he says, at verse 20, this is Jesus talking in the upper room. Now, when did the upper room take place? It took place the night before he was crucified. In fact, if you look at these chapters of John, remember John divides into two sections. His public ministry and then his private ministry. Notice how many chapters are devoted to his private ministry. Judas goes out in chapter 13, then there's only 11 left. So Jesus spends then time Chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. Then goes the out to pray in the garden. Now Jesus is tell, telling these disciples, these 11 disciples, this is what's going to happen when I'm gone. He says there at verse 20, at that day, what day? Well, the day the Holy Spirit comes. He said, I'm going to send him to you. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. What is you in me? The believer in Christ, in the body of Christ. What is I in you? Eternal life, you see. The life we have, the Son. Christ comes to indwell us. In fact, if you study your Bibles fairly and squarely, you'll find that, in a sense, all three persons of the Trinity indwell us. And it is, you see. We often talk about the Holy Spirit indwell us. That's fine. He does. Started the day of Pentecost, not before. The day of Pentecost. And all those who are in Christ then have eternal life. So the Holy Spirit comes to indwell the person the very moment he's saved, or she is saved. No waiting. Now, there are some who hold that you don't get the Holy Spirit when you get saved. You wait later on to get that. 
fact, I was in one of my weaker moments, I was watching a certain television show some years ago, and the preacher said, I was in Madison Square Garden the other night, and over several thousand, I forget the number he gave now, I think about 3,500 or so, he said, thousands of people came forward to receive the Holy Spirit. I kind of scratched my head. I wonder where you find that invitation. Can you find that in the Bible? No. What's the invitation we have in the Bible? It is receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And when you receive him as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell. If anyone has not the Spirit of Christ, he is not of his. Romans 8 11 says. So rest assured, if you're a believer, child, young person, adult, the Holy Spirit has come to dwell. So our body then is the temple of God. What an amazing thing. Somebody asked me one day, what about those, those saints that were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost? And what about those people? I suggest they were Old Testament saints and then became New Testament saints when the Holy Spirit of God came. Here they were gathered in the upper room and in that group was Mary, the mother of Jesus' humanity. And so they became New Testament saints because they received the Holy Spirit at that time. So he says there's one body. Now that body is made up of all born-again believers. So the word church, as you know, in the Bible is used in two different ways. The local church, such as the church at, at uh, where are we here, Valley Center. And then there's the church that we call the body of Christ. Now, in that body, there's a place for every believer to exercise his or her spiritual gift. And many churches have the idea, we're going to hire a pastor, he's going to do the work for us. What's the pastor's responsibility? It is to equip the saints for the work of their ministry, not his ministry. So he is to teach and preach, and by example, lead the flock, and they are to do the work in the vineyard for the cause of Christ. So that doesn't mean the pastor sits in his chair all the time with his feet up on the desk. And, oh, I'm glad my people are out there doing that. No, that's not the point. But the point is, he equips the people to do the work of the ministry that God that belongs to them. Now, every believer has a spiritual gift in that body. Every believer has a work to do. I had one lady ask me, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I thought I knew. I don't have infallible judgment, but I said, I believe your gift is the gift of showing mercy. And that person certainly has a wonderful gift of showing mercy. You say, well, that's not very important what it is. That's one of the gifts. Whether preaching the word, teaching the word, whatever those gifts might be. So there's one body, and in that body there are many people with various gifts. Now in the last chapter, in the <clears throat> chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, 
He says, covet earnestly the best gifts. You, I wasn't going to turn there, but I will. If you want to turn there, that's fine. Look in the last verse of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. But earnestly desire the best gifts. And so I says, oh, that means that we're all supposed to seek after gift. No. The word is a plural here. The noun would be a plural. You as a church body should covet, desire the best gifts to be operative within the church. It's not seeking a gift from God. I haven't time to deal with all that, but uh, he, God does it, you see. Look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and the members individually. God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healing, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. You say, are there any apostles today? No. The apostles had been eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. Once the apostles died, no more apostles, no matter what Salt Lake City says. So, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. All workers of miracles? No. Do all the gifts of healing? No. Do all, have, do all speak with tongues? And what's the answer? No. He expected no answer to each of these questions. So you see, tongues cannot be a, a sign of the gift of the baptism of the Spirit. I wouldn't plan on going there, but since I'm here now, Turn to chapter 12. You're in chapter 12. And look at verse 12. There is one body, as the body is one and has many members. But all the members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized in the one body. All have been baptized by the spirit, but all do not speak in tongues. Those who say, well, baptism is a sign of being... Speaking in tongues is a sign of baptism, not so. Cannot be. So the believers then are gathered in God's place, God's assembly, to hear the word of God, to be equipped for the work of the ministry which belongs to them. Now, some gifts are obviously seen all the time. Some are more in the corner, as it were. That means one's unimportant? No. Each individual has a responsibility before God. And I believe that by trial and error and by asking God to rec- that you might recognize what gift you have, you operate within that purview. So the body then is very, very important. And the gifts in that body are vitally important for the smooth operation. Now, there are some who have to give of exhortation, get people to do things in a hurry. Some have the gift of, of uh, giving. All are to give, but some have the gift of giving, which means probably to do unusual amounts. That's between them and the Lord. But all of us are to give to God's work. That's part of our responsibility as blood-bought, born-again believers. Those are the smooth operation of a local assembly. So back to our text, and if you will, 
There is one body. There should be unity in the body. There should be operation, smooth operation in the body. That might take a while to get all that taken care of. It's a continual process in a sense. Had a young man in our church one time who uh, wanted to work with young people. We thought he was a good, good fit. He did it for a year. He came to me and said, you know, after doing this for a year, I don't really think that's my gift. I enjoy the love. I love the young people. I Somehow I just don't really think my, that's my fit. I could have twisted our arm and said, oh, John, we need you so desperately. Won't you please stay on? No, I said, well, let's pray then that God might direct you. He actually wound up being a hospital chaplain and served in the church there. He felt comfortable there. So a gift, then, is something we do not seek after to get. It's that which we have, and we are to recognize it so that we might operate within the body. Now notice that back in our text, chapter 4 and verse 4. One body and one spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. We've already talked a little bit about that. So at the beginning of the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God came to dwell believers. When the rapture takes place, the Holy Spirit of God will go forth, go up, as the church goes up. Somebody said, well, I thought people could be saved during the tribulation. But yes. There were people who became believers back in the Old Testament, right? He did not endure anybody there. By the way, when we talk about the coming of Christ, uh, why does he have to come? He's omnipresent. He's here today. Why does he have to come? So we're waiting for the return of the glorified humanity, the Lord Jesus. He's going to come. So always keep in mind, then, the omnipresence of God in every place at one time and yet operating in various ways. So before the Pentecost, the Lord Jesus said, the upper room, he'll come not many days from now on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God came. And there's one Holy Spirit. Now let me say this, if I may. There are some churches today I don't want to be too negative here, but just an observation with you. Very large, in fact, some parts of our country, who are teaching what we call the oneness doctrine about God, the Godhead. What do I mean by that? There's only one person. Sometimes he manifested a son, sometimes his father, sometimes his spirit. They would say, in the Old Testament, he operated as Father. In the New, in the New Testament, the and Gospels and Acts, the Son came. Now the Holy Spirit is the one who's manifested. No. Three separate and distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In fact, keep in mind, if you will, that the whole Trinity indwells you. Our body becomes the temple of God by the indwelling of the Spirit of God. What about the indwelling of Christ? He who has the Son has what? Life. Who does not have the Son does not have life. So the Son indwells us by giving us eternal life. 
What about God the Father? We'll see more about that in just a little bit. I'll just insert this now. That God the Father indwells us. See there, look at verse 6, giving ahead just a bit. One God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. How does God the Father indwell you? By giving you a divine nature. So there is one God, three persons. One God and three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Back to verse 5. Excuse me. One hope of your calling. Verse 4. What's the hope here? Now, always keep in mind this word hope has a very significant meaning. Paul says we are saved by hope. Somebody said, well, I thought, we had, I thought we had certainty. Why would it be hope? Well, explain the word hope in this fashion, if you will. It is promised, that which is promised in the word of God. It was in the mind and plan of God. Promised in the word of God, there's a future aspect to it. Hope of our redemption. Uh, that we are to redeemed. What's going to happen? Someday we're going to get a new body. It'd be pretty good, won't it? Yeah. We'll have a body like his glorified body. So, there in First John 4, we know not what we shall be. We know when he appears, we shall be like him. We'll see him just as he is. A body like his glorified body. So we are saved by hope. One hope, if you're calling. Doesn't mean it's uncertain. Doesn't mean it's a hopeful thing. Now, I've told this story more than once, but I think it's an apt story. When I was in high school, my senior year, a pastor came to our church. I can't go into all the details of how it ever happened, but it happened. He found out he did not believe in the security of the believer. You could lose your salvation. We young people, we were in, we were in high school. We were, we were not great theologians, <laughs> um, whatever that may be. But uh, uh, we thought that wasn't right. So Dr. Darnell Gray Barnhouse, who was quite well-known at that time, uh, was holding meetings over in Kansas City, Missouri. We were in Kansas. And Bob Gorman and I, we decided to go over and see him one night. We went to the meeting. We knew the pastor a little bit, big, this big church. And we talked to the pastor beforehand. Is it possible we could meet with Dr. Barnhouse after the service? He said, I think so. So service was over and shook hands with a few people. And the pastor came to us and said, uh, uh, Dr. Barnett in the study to see you. Okay, he's ready to see you now. We walked into the study, and there he was. And we chatted a while. I said, well, boys, how can I help you? We were boys. Uh, how can I help you? 
We've had a pastor come to our town who does not believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. Could you give us some help? He very calmly looked at us and said, well, now, let me ask you a question. What kind of life did you get when you got saved? We received eternal life. Oh. Well, what if God gave you eternal life and took it back after a year's time? That'd be a pretty short eternity, wouldn't it? What if he took it back after 10 years or whatever? It's a pretty short eternity. He said, no, you see, you received eternal life as now as a present possession. He that hath the Son has life. So salvation does not depend upon our behavior. It depends upon receiving Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Realize that we're sinners, cannot save ourselves. We receive him by faith. At that very moment, God gave us, gives us eternal life. That was a great hope. So, the salvation we have is that is a quality of life, Dr. Barnhouse said. Now, just see, many people think of salvation as a way out of hell. Well, thank God it is. That's not at all. Not all of it. That's a part of it. It's really a quality of life. Remember, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more, what, abundantly. God wants us to enjoy eternal life. I went to a, a funeral service one day, a memorial service. And, well, I guess it actually was the funeral service. The casket was there in the church, and the pastor got up and said, Now this person now has eternal life. Given the impression that was not available till death. No. If you don't have it before you die, you're not going to have it after you die. So we receive eternal life at the very moment of salvation. Move on to number five, chapter, verse five. One Lord. Talking about Jesus Christ, I believe here. Who took it unto himself humanity. Now he is here in the sense that he is omnipresent because he's God. He can indwell us and still be interceding at the Father's right hand for us. Where is he physically? He's at the right hand of the Father. What's going to happen when he comes back? He's going to come back in bodily form to receive us unto himself. We're going to be cut up to be with him. Oft times as I've conducted funeral services, that uh, depended upon the people involved, but I said, you know, I was coming from, I parked my car, I was coming towards the, uh, this spot where we're going to uh, lower the casket down, bury the person. I was talking to the Lord. I said, Lord, wouldn't it be great if Jesus would come now and we'd all be caught up to have put this person down? It's going to happen someday. One God and Father of all. I jumped ahead. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, one faith, by the way, could be talking about a system of truth revealed to us in the Word of God. 
How about the word baptism? One baptism. One day I was counting up baptism I could name in the Bible. Why, I said, why would Paul say there's one baptism? I started counting. You know how many I found? I found seven. Why would Paul say there's one if there's seven? There's one real baptism. That's Holy Spirit baptism, placing you into Christ. So the word baptism actually has the idea of being identified with. Let me briefly give you, if I may, those seven baptisms. Maybe you want to mark them down and remember them, if you will, for your own benefit. First of all, the baptism of John. John the baptizing one. He was not the first Baptist, by the way. It's a participle, really. The baptizing one. Well, I like to put it, distinguish that. I heard, I was in a service one time where the preacher got up and said, we, uh, we follow John's baptism. No. John's baptism, which was a baptism of what? Of repentance. And the baptism of Jesus, only one of those. Baptism of Jesus. We do not follow him in baptism. We are obedient to his command to be baptized. I think to follow him in baptism means that we're baptized for the same reason he's baptized. Why, why was he baptized? To reveal to John one reason. To reveal to John who he was. John says, I knew him not. Twice he says that in First John 1, in Gospel of John, verse 1. Oh, why would John say, I knew him not? Relatively why, they were first cousins after the flesh. I'm sure they played each, with each other. John being six months older. You mean he could actually play with him and know him and not believe he's a Messiah? Let me tell you another one before I answer that question. What about the, the brothers and sisters of Jesus? Growing up in the same household, did not, they did not believe that he was the Messiah. When Jesus rose from the dead, he said, go tell James. It was not until they saw the risen Jesus Christ, they realized, he was the Messiah. So John says that he was baptized to identify who he was. So we do not follow him in baptism. We obey his command to be baptized. Another baptism is the baptism of the believer. What is the picture there? When Jesus, before he went away, he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, I'm paraphrasing, preach the gospel, baptize those who believe, and then teach them. 
Why is the believer baptized in water? Well, obedient to his command. What does it do? It shows the world and those who want to look up, other believers. I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. He's placed me in the body of Christ. Now I am identified with him in the death, his burial, his resurrection. Go down the water in the likeness of death and burial, raise up out of the water in the likeness of resurrection. And so we ought to walk in newness of life, he says. Now, look over Romans chapter 6 just for a moment. Notice of verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that as many of, you, of us were baptized into his death, excuse me, Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism in the death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. Now what baptism is this? This water baptism? I don't find any water here myself. But it pictures what happens in water baptism. In the water, in light of death and burial, raised by the water in light of resurrection. So to be baptized by the Spirit of God places us in the Christ. I have my study a confraternity edition of the Bible put out by the Roman Catholic back in about 1950 or 55, someplace in there. Has a footnote here in Romans chapter 6. And there was word baptism. The footnote says something like this. This evidently refers to the primitive mode of baptism, which was by immersion. Kind of interesting. They don't practice immersion today. Goes on to say, this baptism places us in the Christ. Water baptism does not do that, folks. This is a picture of water baptism. what happens. So the real is pictured by the water baptism. So there's three baptisms then. John, Jesus, believers. What's the fourth and fifth one? Matthew, Mark, John, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John baptized in water, you should be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And fire. Let's deal with the fire first of all. The fire is a judgment which will take place at the second advent of Christ. When Christ comes to the earth, I'm talking about the air, and coming in the air. We're talking about him coming to the earth. There's going to be a judgment taking place. That's the baptism of fire. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the believer being placed in the Christ, which we've already talked about. That gives us five. There's two more. Want to see them? I'd like to show them in the Scripture if I can. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't want to turn, that's great. No problem. But you might mark them down.
Matthew chapter 10, verse 2, were all, and all were baptized in the Moses, in the cod, in the sea. You ever heard of the baptism of Moses before? There it is. He's talking about they were identified with him. There's one more, the baptism of suffering. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 38 and 39. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and the baptism with which I am baptized. Will you be baptized? So I repeat, baptism is, means to be identified with. It can be identified in the sufferings the Old Testament saints were baptized, identified with Moses. So if you get that idea, all baptism is not water. That's one of the baptisms. So he says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But he's saying there's one real baptism, there are other baptisms, which picture the real baptism is being baptized by the Spirit of God and placed in the Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 3, you don't have to turn there now, but we've well, already read it. There you have the believer then being identified with him. Coming back now to our text, if you will. We add at verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Number 6, one God and Father of all. <clears throat> now, Jesus, God is the Father of all by creation. He is not spiritually the Father of all. Some are children of the devil, are they not? That's what it says. So by creation, he's the Father of all. But as far as believers are concerned, he becomes the Father at the moment of salvation. He's our Father. And he's above all. Now, in his presence, he can be every place at the same time. Above all, through all, don't make that pantheism. There's no place where God is not. And in y'all, somebody said Paul was a good southern, in y'all. So here you have then the concept that he indwells each of us. I repeat, if I may. 
The whole Trinity indwells us. Our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit through the indwelling of the Spirit. Christ indwells us by giving us eternal life. At the very moment of salvation. And then the Father indwells us by giving us a divine nature. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. So as you consider then this great paragraph that Paul's given us, what we are to do for Christ is follow then this, this goes, precedes all that we're to do for him. He says, walk worthy of the calling for which you have called. We've been learning to walk in fellowship with him, be obedient, faithful servants of the Lord. Have you here today without Christ a Savior? He died for you. He loves you. He'd like to have you receive Christ as Savior. Here we bow. Our Father, we are grateful that you do love us and provide for us. Thank you for your word. We would pray that you might take the word and apply it to our lives by the Spirit of God. May we learn to walk day by day and even moment by moment. May we desire to honor you and glorify your name. As for this church and the pastor and all the work labor here, you might wonderfully use them for your glory. For any who might be unsaved, may this be a day of salvation. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.